Hey, welcome to a Zion People podcast. I am Keelan, an intern at Zion Church, and this is our latest message. The team here hope the message challenges you, inspires you, but most of all, builds your faith. Enjoy the message. All right, all right. Uh, so they call me Craig Spielberg Bennett now. Uh, <laughs> here goes my movie-making skills. All right, uh, so that was a quick recap of Ruth chapter 1 and Ruth chapter 2. Uh, so hopefully now you've got a pretty good understanding of where we are in the story. Um, so I'm going to invite uh, Mr. Philip Rose. Mr. Philip Rose, would you come to the front uh, to, uh, to tell you the exegesis for us for uh, chapter 3. Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. Over the last couple Sundays, yes, we've been looking at the book of Ruth, and this morning I will start off by giving a summary for chapter 3. We see in verse 1, Naomi has a marriage plan for her daughter-in-law, Ruth, which sets the storyline for the entire chapter. It says, one day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, you should... Should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? The word home that gets used in this verse has a Hebrew meaning which is explained as to find a resting place or a place of security attained through marriage. So a marriage plan is put in place by Naomi. The core part of this marriage plan included meeting Boaz, the guardian redeemer of the family. This meeting took place at nighttime on the threshing floor. There, Ruth uncovered the feet of Boaz while he was sleeping, and then slept next to him there. When Boaz woke up in the middle of the night, he was startled to see someone lying at his feet and asks, Who are you? She then replies to him in verse 9, I am your servant Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. Boaz then accepts the offer to become her kinsman redeemer, but there was an obstacle to overcome first, as there was someone else that was a closer kinsman redeemer than Boaz. Now, this was um, the short summary of chapter 3, and when I read this chapter over, one thing stood out, and it is found in the response of Boaz to Ruth in verse 11, where he says to her, All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. This sparked a question in my mind. Would this story have happened at all if Ruth was not of noble character? And it reminded me of a time when I was a teenager. One day I was flipping through my dad's Bible when I saw a verse underlined in the book of Proverbs. It said, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The importance of noble character is highlighted in Ruth and in this passage in Proverbs. Fearing God and living a life that honors him leads a person to being of noble character. And of course, this is not only true for Ruth, but for Boaz as well. And the same question holds true. Would this story have happened at all if Boaz was not of noble character? In chapter 2, verse 20, Naomi says of Boaz, He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, thus showing he too was of noble character. 
This is also highlighted again in verse 9 of chapter 2, when Boaz ordered the men, his workers, workers of the field, not to touch Ruth or to treat her harshly. Therefore, there was safety for Ruth in the field of Boaz. This meant that Naomi was fully confident in her plan of sending her young, beautiful daughter-in-law, Ruth, down to the threshing floor, which was off-limits for a woman. In the middle of the night, knowing nothing inappropriate would happen to Ruth. The reason why? Because both were of noble character. Uh, the overarching theme in the book of Ruth is, of course, the kinsman-redeemer aspect of Boaz, being like our own redeemer, Jesus Christ, and how we come under his authority and covering. Just like Boaz covered over Ruth and she found a place of security in him through marriage, Jesus covers over us through our relationship with him. But in this part of the story in Ruth chapter 3, being of noble character is specifically highlighted to the point that there is an underlying principle that being of noble character is a precursor or even a prerequisite um, for God's plan to become established and then fulfilled as seen with Ruth and Boaz. This underlying principle is an, an eternal principle that is true just as strongly today as it was in the time of Ruth. If we are wanting a next level relationship with God or a plan of his to be established and then fulfilled in our lives, becoming a person of noble character like Ruth and Boaz seems to be an important key to attaining this. For unpacking that uh, uh, Ruth chapter 3 for us, uh, hopefully... Uh, you have read the book of Ruth. Uh, it doesn't take terribly long uh, to actually get through the whole book. Um, and so, um, you know, I know that, uh, that Philip there let the cat out of the bag, that, uh, you know, they actually get married at the end. It's like, ah, ruined the ending of the story. Uh, but that's okay, because you could have uh, read it for yourself. Uh, when, we, when we looked at chapter 2, there was a law that we had to understand to understand chapter 2. Can anyone remember what that law was? The law of, I heard someone say it, gleaning, the law of gleaning. And Keelan unpacked that for us last week. Uh, <laughs> at least one person remembered. Yes, thank you. Yeah, it's good. Uh, so the law, <laughs> the law of gleaning uh, was, was the explanation for chapter two. Now, the original audience wouldn't have needed to have understood that because that was part and parcel of uh, what they did. Uh, it's a bit like explaining, you know, if you were going to Hamilton, uh, you would all have to drive on the left-hand side of the road. I wouldn't have to tell you that because you all know it. Um, in the same way, um, for us, we have to understand those laws because it gives us the insight into the story. Uh, so uh, chapter two uh, was the law of gleaning. Chapter three, the basis of chapter three is the law of liberate marriage. Okay, liberate marriage, which is what, you might ask. Okay, we'll get to that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Deuteronomy 25, um, and if it's going to take you some time, that's okay, because I've got some things to say before you get there. All right, so sometimes with these old stories, we also can get mixed up in the timing. How long between 
uh, uh, Ruth uh, and Naomi turning up in Bethlehem and uh, uh, Boaz basically uh, agreeing that, uh, that, he would take, no, he, that he would be the kinsman redeemer. How long was that? That was actually a year. We read the story and we think, oh, it's got to be a couple of weeks at most. I mean, the story moves fairly quickly through. Uh, and uh, the Jewish way of thinking doesn't have that same attention to detail that we do. Uh, but you really need to understand the farming cal- uh, calendar in Israel. And of course, uh, most of you would have said, yeah, that's a point of study that I've made in my life. Uh, I know when things, uh, things get grow in Israel. Probably not. Okay, if I asked a number of people here when calving season was uh, in, uh, in the Waikato, uh, there would be a number of people who would say, I can give you the date that it starts, I can give you the date that it's supposed to finish. Um, and uh, for, the, for the, uh, the Israelites, the, uh, the Jewish uh, calendar was actually set up around the same thing. Um, so Passover, the Feast of First Fruits, was, this, was basically the start of the barley harvest. So it started first, okay, Uh, and then 50 days later, they celebrated the end of the wheat harvest. What was 50 days after Easter? Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost uh, was uh, the time of the wheat harvest. And so in chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, we have Ruth gleaning in the fields at the, at the beginning of the barley harvest. We find that in chapter 1. And then she's, it says in the end of chapter 2 that she gleaned through the barley harvest up till the end of the wheat harvest. So that's almost two months later. Uh, and then in chapter 3, it says, Naomi says, uh, Boaz will be in the field winnowing the barley. Now, you don't wait two months to winnow the barley uh, after the wheat harvest, okay? So this is a year later. This is the next barley harvest. So uh, what, uh, uh, what Phil uh, pointed out was there's actually been a period of time where Boaz can see that Ruth is a woman of noble character. This is not just as she's turned up for a couple of weeks later, he says, I know everything about her. This is a year in a small village. This is consistent service that Ruth has made to Naomi. Um, and so it's not just a, you know, oh, happened uh, very quickly, but rather there has been this period of time uh, in between. So here we are back to uh, winnowing uh, barley. Naomi comes up with the plan uh, for, for marriage. So if you've uh, managed to find uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25, uh, we're going to actually understand the law of liberate marriage. Okay, Deuteronomy 25, I'm going to start in verse 5 and read through to verse 10. So, verse 5, If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Now, just uh, just to unpack that a little bit, okay. It's not that they're all living in the same house like we would, but living together as in the same walled community, which might be a dozen houses in there. Okay, so living together is not, again, you've got to put that in current context. Um, his widow must not marry outside the family. So that's a a condition. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife... Um, there may be some brothers in here who may resonate with that statement. Uh, don't, 
just don't say it to them, okay? You know, if, if I was in olden times in Deuteronomy 25, this wouldn't be me. No, no, don't say that, all right? Anyway, if, uh, so if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, my husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. And then the elders of his town shall summon him and talk to him. A little bit of arm twisting going on here. Hey, is that what you really said? And if he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, this is what is done to the man who will not build up his, his brother's family line. And that man's line shall be known in Israel forever after as the family of the unsandled. Imagine introducing yourself, you know, hey, I'm, uh, I'm John Unsandled, and everyone goes, ooh, yeah, ooh, ouch, ouch. Okay, someday I don't know where that translates well, the family of the unsandled. Anyway, um, that's, that's the, 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 the point of Leverate Marriage was that there needed to be an heir. There had to be a line to carry on, and the line was not carried on through uh, daughters. It was carried on through sons. So a man dies without a son, he has no inheritance. And so it's responsibility of the family uh, to somehow get a son. The question, of course, is for uh, Ruth uh, chapter 3, is who requires the liberate marriage? Who requires the liberate marriage? You see, we often think about Ruth trying to find a husband, but that's not the point. The point is that Naomi needs to be married. Naomi is the one who has, is without an heir, okay? Ruth also hasn't, doesn't have an heir, but you sort of got to start uh, one step back. You see, if Ruth gets married, then it leaves Naomi in the same position that she's currently in. She has no inheritance. Uh, and in fact, uh, Boaz alludes to that, and, and Philip uh, told us this morning, he said, well, okay, okay, so here's Ruth of a noble character, and Boaz recognizes that by saying, you could have gone off and got married yourself. You could have chased off after the young men. She could have looked after herself by getting married again. Okay? Uh, but that would have left Naomi stranded. You see, if Ruth got married, Naomi would not have been taken care of. There was no obligation on Ruth's new husband to take care of Naomi. Uh, so in actual fact, it's Naomi that needs to have and inheritance, and we see that unpacked in verse uh, in chapter four. When Ruth has a son, the, the 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 Bible says, "And now Naomi has a son." It's interesting. It's not Ruth's son. It's like didn't Ruth? Anyway, uh, you'll get to that next week when uh, when Phil gets through to chapter four. Um, so anyway, but chapter three is this interesting threshing floor scene. Now the threshing floor is not a building; um, it's a a saddleback. Uh, if anyone knows a saddleback, so there's a peak of the hill here, there's a peak of the hill here, so this is this, this is this, and a prevailing wind will blow through that place. That's a saddleback, okay? And what they used to do is they take the grain, uh, they beat all the heads off it, um, which would be basically a pile of grain and chaff, and then they would throw it into the air. I was going to demonstrate this, and, uh, and Julie had other... Ideas, but anyway, uh, you know. So just imagine large fan here, uh, me with a large basket of uh, chaff and grain, and throwing it into the air. 
In theory, what would happen is that the grain, being the heaviest, would land first, and the chaff, being light, would be carried by the wind and would end up further down. All right? So if you do this well, you will separate the chaff from the wheat, from the grain, either barley uh, or wheat. Uh, now, typically, uh, and we see this in the passage here, this was being done in the evening, a prevailing wind uh, sprung up in the evening in that part of the world, and so they would do this in the evening. You can't start in the morning when there's no wind, otherwise you just get covered in chaff and wheat. Um, <clears throat> I was also going to demonstrate that, but I thought, oh, that's right. Uh, okay, so, so they were doing this in the evening, uh, because that's when the wind was, uh, which means it's a bit of a late night by the time they get finished. Uh, once they're finished, they end up with these two piles, uh, but of course they don't have time to bag it because it's dark. It's not like, you know, wheel out the generator, uh, plug in the, st the stem lights and everyone carries on. Uh, my son's been involved in the, uh, in the grain harvest uh, in Canada, and of course the combine harvesters are going till one or two in the morning, uh, just when the humidity drops to a certain point, then they have to stop. Uh, but, you know, they carry on all the way, you know, till late at night. Not so in ancient Israel. Um, not suggesting you would take a candle out there and do the same thing. That could also be uh, uh, not end well. Okay, um, and so they would, actually, they would actually then have to sleep with the harvested material. Right? They don't want to say, here's a nice large uh, pile of grain, we'll come back tomorrow morning and we'll start putting it into, into sacks. Uh, because tomorrow morning there might be a small uh, pile of grain left. Uh, so they would stay there to basically guard the, uh, the harvest, um, and then the next morning they would start again in, in gathering it into bags and, and uh, doing what they needed to do. So that's, the, that's the, the context of Ruth chapter 3, and Naomi knows that this is going on. They'll be out there winnowing barley. She knows how late it's going to be. She knows the process, and so she's telling Ruth uh, that, she needs, that Ruth needs to go, um, and this is the time... Uh, to tackle Boaz. Uh, so if you have your Bibles there, we're going to look at Ruth uh, chapter 3, and starting from verse 7. Ruth chapter 3, starting verse 7, says, uh, Ruth answered, I will do whatever you say. Um, and, uh, and then verse 7, When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, uh, this is not drunk, by the way. Uh, he didn't have good spirits. He was in good spirits. Uh, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Uh, interestingly, with Boaz as the boss, he doesn't go and sleep with everybody else. He doesn't go and sleep with the workers. He was on his own, right? That's the part of being the boss. And so he goes uh, at the far end of the grain pile, and Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, somewhat startled, the man, he turned. So something, start, something startled the man. He turns, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Uh, who are you, he asked. Remember, it's dark. Then he just pull out his phone, flick on the torch, and go, oh, it's Ruth. Okay, you just don't do that. Uh, by the way, don't try and light a candle when you stand. Anyway, uh, we've been through that one. Okay, so I'm your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer or a kinsman redeemer. In the, in the uh, Hebrew, the goel. Okay, uh, so you are the Goel of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. What did she do? 
See, we might miss that, and I'm going to come back to a second. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. So Boaz recognizes it for what it is. Uh, some people, uh, this is one of those unfortunate passages that if you don't understand the culture, uh, you might suggest that uh, Ruth was being a little bit forward and Naomi had put her up to it. This was a propositioning event, wait till he's dark and drunk and go and be with him in the middle of the night. And hey, if what happens happens, then uh, he will have no choice. He will have trapped him into marriage. So this is some, I've heard some commentators say this, but that's not the case at all. Uh, as Philip so eloquently pointed out, these are two people of noble character. These are two people who understand their roles in society. Uh, what does, what does uh, when, when Boaz says, Your, the kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier, what is he talking about? What's that? Looking after Naomi. And so here, Boaz recognizes right off the bat, right off the start, that Ruth is actually doing this for Naomi. No long, it's, not, it's not just that Ruth is actually going and, and uh, supporting Naomi by gleaning, uh, which she will have done all through the year and through the seven uh, harvests that uh, would typically be happening, uh, but she's actually now saying, I will offer to go into a marriage uh, or, or be that uh, representative in marriage with Boaz so that, Ruth, uh, so that Naomi can have a son. The kindness which you do now is greater. And he talks about, you've not run off after the younger men. She could have looked after herself, but she didn't. The key thought this morning is covering. The key thought is authority. You see, Naomi needed to have that covering. Naomi needed to have that uh, authority figure and have an inheritance. And Ruth is the, uh, well, Naomi is the instigator. Ruth is almost the mediator, in this case, of the promise Okay, they needed to have uh, this male relative. They couldn't do it on their own. Now, in today's society, we often see authority worn in a different way. Okay, no one's going to look at the bottom of my jeans and say, oh, look, see his authority. Where do we see authority? Think about it. Where do people show their authority if they're uh, dressed to show their authority? What's that? Uh, it can be on their head. So sometimes it's a hat on their shoulders. Oftentimes we see in the army or the police force, the rank of someone appears on their shoulders. Okay? Uh, in ancient Israel, they didn't have epaulets, those shoulder pieces. They had a hem of the garment. And their, their authority or their identity was actually sewn in to their hem. Uh, they talk about an ancient, uh, in ancient Mesopotamia, that, that region, uh, where you would, instead of signing your name, you would take the hem of your garment and you would press it into wet clay because the embroidery, the stitching, is, uh, is unique to your family. Uh, it's a bit like in, in ancient uh, uh, Scotland, um, and I was going to get Tom to demonstrate, but uh, he didn't wear his kilt today, um, that the tartan of the kilt identifies your clan, your family, right? So in the same way, uh, this is ancient Israel. So when Ruth is saying, place the hem of your garment over me, she's not trying to snuggle in underneath the covers, okay? Uh, she's saying, I need your authority. And I'm here representing Ruth, and, and we need you to do this for us, okay? 
Uh, and interestingly, uh, the position that Ruth takes when she goes to Boaz is she places herself in the place of a servant, lying at his feet, right? So not lying beside him, but rather lying at his feet in the place of a servant. Uh, and she wants to be covered by his protection. You've got all these social codes going on in this scene. Naomi understands it. Boaz understands it. Ruth's doing what she's told because she's a foreigner. She wouldn't understand everything that's going on. Uh, and we see that a little bit later in the verse. Uh, but she knows that she, what she has to do. Now, Boaz has to, make three, has to ha- meet three conditions to make it work. He has to first be a near kinsman. Okay, can't just be anybody. You can't has to just have someone outside of the tribe doing this. He has to be a near kinsman. Secondly, he has to be able to perform the duties. Okay? Now, in this case, he needs to be able to redeem Elimelech's land from the person who has leased it. Land in Israel was never sold. It was always only ever leased. So Elimelech says, I can't use my field or I'm off in Moab. He finds somebody to lease the field, and the lease term was fixed for everybody till the next year of Jubilee. And then the leases are all dissolved. So however many years it was, up to 50 years. Uh, we know it's only, it could be as much as 40 because they've already been in Moab for 10 years. Uh, we don't know how far that is, but Boaz has to go and pay the person some money to get the land back, right? And if he says, you yeah, do the Australian haka. Have you seen the Australian haka? Yeah? Go shout. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Sorry about all those Australians. Anyway, I've just offended. Anyway, uh, but he's got to have some money. He's got to have the cash to be able to go and redeem the land. And as we read in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 25, he has to be willing. You don't have to do this. All right? The law in Deuteronomy was the woman must not marry outside the family, but the near kinsman does not have to marry his brother-in-law's wife. Okay, so... Boaz had to not only be a near kinsman, he had to be able to perform the duties of a, of a goel, a kinsman redeemer, and he had to be willing to do it. Uh, then, of course, uh, a little bit of conversation there in, uh, in Ruth chapter 3, and uh, Boaz says, before you run off, now, here's, here's someone who's, who's interested in Ruth's reputation as well as, a, as his own, he said, women shouldn't be here. This is not the place for women at the, you know, staying overnight uh, at the barley harvest, at the threshing floor. So before it was light, before you could recognize a person, uh, he says, it's time that you go back. We don't want to start rumors. We don't want to start tongues wagging that there's something inappropriate going along. Uh, so Ru- uh, uh, Boaz and Ruth are both protecting each other's character. He says, before you go... Uh, take these six measures of uh, meal, six measures of barley. Uh, interesting, there's actually two codes in this. Uh, three measures of meal was the fellowship offering. So was Boaz actually saying to Ruth and Naomi, I want to be in fellowship, right? So I'm going to send you six. Uh, but also the clue that Naomi picks up on, uh, God worked for six days and then he rested. And this six measures of meal uh, is basically saying to Naomi, I will not rest until this thing is done. 
And in fact, at the end of chapter 3, we see Naomi gets the code and she says, he will not rest until this thing is done. Um, interesting, uh, you know, uh, Phil alluded to that. That was a scripture reference at the end. Uh, Ruth chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Put that in, uh, in the context of Jesus. Jesus will not rest until this thing is done. And I'm not talking about the thing that it is finished on the cross, and surely he didn't rest until that was done. Uh, but there are many other Ruths out there in fields working, and, and uh, uh, Jesus, in the, like Boaz, will not rest until those people are brought into the family. Uh, Jesus is still working uh, to that. Now, this is, this is designed around a play. There's, there's scenes and there's, and there's acts and there's tension and there's drama going on. Um, and I thought I'd give a little bit of a, a movie analogy to keep that theme going uh, for, uh, for this little hiccup uh, we have there uh, in chapter 3 uh, because Ruth says, you are our near kinsman. And uh, Ruth, uh, sorry, Boaz says, excellent. Oh, just one little fly in the ointment. There is a nearer kinsman. And I was thinking about this. If you were making a movie uh, about, uh, about the book of Ruth and you would, you know, it'd be this, the tagline there, introducing Jennifer Lawrence as the beautiful Ruth, uh, Chris Hemsworth as Boaz, and Danny DeVito as the nearer kinsman. You can just imagine, right? So it's like, ah. Oh. Ah, oh, right, you know, there's the love going on and they see each other and we saw in the movie just gazing lovingly at each other uh, and you can just imagine, you know, heading off to the town gate because there is a nearer kinsman and Danny DeVito turns up and like, what? This could all go sideways in a hurry. Uh, I'm not going to spoil, spoil the end of the story there, um, uh, but... Uh, but you've got to imagine that the people are hearing this. This is the book that was read uh, every Pentecost that was under, under Jewish tradition. Um, and you've got to just remember, the, just think about that as the tension. You know, built the story, and all of a sudden there is a bit of a fly in the ointment. There is a nearer uh, kinsman. Uh, last week, uh, Keelan introduced some parallels from the story. Uh, we see Naomi representing Israel. The Gentile bride of Christ uh, could not have uh, come close without Israel first setting the scene, without Israel first introducing uh, the world, if you like, to, uh, to Jesus Christ. It's a Jewish gospel we follow. Uh, it's Judaism that we're reading this story in the Old Testament. It's how we relate to God uh, or how a nation, how a people is supposed to follow God is found in the Old Testament. And so uh, Naomi in this place of Israel, Israel for us as Gentiles, what do we know about God? We read about a Jewish God. We read about a God who's dealt with the nation of Israel down through the centuries. Uh, Ruth is that type of the, of, uh, the church, the Gentile bride. Uh, Ruth is a foreigner. Ruth is a Moabites. Uh, someone even at, at odds with Israel, an, a potential enemy. Um, we heard that last week, you know, maybe not only a stranger, but potentially an enemy. And so we all were. We were all enemies of God. While we hated God in our hearts, Christ loved us. You know, and it's interesting you say, oh, I never hated God. Well, hate is about saying, I will do it my way, not your way. And Pastor Phil alluded to that, that uh, prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, so, and then we have Boaz is obviously the hero of the story as a type of Christ. 
Boaz is the, the hero for Naomi and Ruth, the way out of poverty, the way to provision, and just as much Christ is that for us. Christ is our kinsman redeemer. Uh, it's interesting, he also had to be had to fulfill the same requirements. Jesus, as our kinsman redeemer, had to be a near, a near relative. He had to be born as a man to stand in the place of kinsman redeemer. He couldn't do that as God. So he was born as a human being so that he could be our relative, our kinsman. We can call him brother, not just because he has adopted us into his family, but because he became one of us. Uh, he's able to perform. Jesus is certainly able, uh, not because he's God, but because he fulfilled the requirements of the law. Interestingly, when we get to chapter 4, Boaz is very, is very sure to follow the requirements of the law. Okay? And so we have Jesus who came to fulfill the requirements of the law so that he is able to redeem us. He's able to purchase us back from slavery. Uh, in the story, Ruth is actually a piece of property in their culture. So the liberate marriage applies to Naomi and Ruth just happens to come along as part of Naomi's household, as part of Naomi's property, uh, which Boaz is... Uh, is uh, also pretty keen on, but you think about us, we are purchased back from slavery. We were slaves. Um, and uh, the, uh, uh, the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, is able to return us to our inheritance just as Jesus does. But there was that third condition. There was that third condition. He must be a near kinsman. He must be able. He must be willing he must be willing. And this is the part that's sometimes a little bit uh, confusing for us because we say, why would a God who is so holy and so righteous be willing to come near to us who are so sinful and so, uh, so desperately wicked, the Bible tells us. Uh, but Jesus is willing to perform. His desire is to see us restored. While we may be offering ourselves as servants... You know, David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord uh, than dwell in the tents anywhere else. I'd rather be a servant who could be close to God than be a king who's far off. And so while we come in the place of Ruth as servants and offer ourselves as servants, uh, Jesus wants to adopt us into his family. He wants to make us sons and daughters of God. And so Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, and he is, uh, as we petition him, he is placing the hem of his garment over our shoulders. He is placing his authority over us. The key part of the story is we don't find the threshing floor scene as somewhere in a house in Bethlehem. It's not Boaz going to Ruth and figuring all this out. It is Boaz uh, sorry, Boaz who waits, and it is Ruth who comes. The same way for us. It's not Jesus saying, hey, I can go, but rather he's saying, inviting us to come. We need to be under that covering. We need to be under that authority. We need to have the protection and provision of, uh, of, uh, of God in our lives. 
The question you have got to ask yourself is, who is the nearer kinsman? You know, it's one of those uh, puzzling things, because if you've got that far, then who is near, the nearer kinsman? Uh, apart from Danny DeVito, of course. Um, who is the nearer kinsman? And I think that, uh, uh, for me, as I read the story, the nearer kinsman re- represents the law. See, the law was supposed to do something. The law was supposed to bring us into righteousness. The law was supposed to show the way. But we realize while the nearer kinsman was nearer, he was not able. He's not able to perform. The law is not able to bring us into the family uh, where Boaz was. The nearer kinsman could not. So what does it mean for us? Most of us have submitted to the Lordship of Christ and are now under his authority, part of his household. And perhaps we might feel that we're already in Ruth chapter 5. And for those people flicking through their Bible and going, hey, well, is this a five-part series? Uh, we're already after the story. You know, the marriage has happened. Everybody lives happily ever after. Hopefully I'm not ruining it for anybody. Um, but we should never forget where we came from. We should never forget that we were like Ruth, foreigners, who lived off the provision of a generous of God before we knew who he really was. The Bible tells us that God sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Uh, James tells us that every good gift comes from our heavenly Father. And so all the good things that we enjoyed outside of our Christian walk before we were Christians is still coming from a loving, generous God. He's made provision uh, for us, and yet if we're happy with that, we'll never be part of the household where that provision and protection uh, is, is so much greater. Our lives should be lived with the remembrance that before Jesus came along, we were foreigners to God's kingdom, we lived in spiritual poverty, and there was no way for us to become a part of God's society, let alone God's family. So let's, let's be people who remember that where we have a kinsman redeemer, we were also in the need of a kinsman redeemer. But we also have to remember that where we came from, others are still there. At the start of Ruth chapter 2, Ruth goes out into the field and, and Boaz makes that, uh, um, uh, in, the, in my little uh, vignette there, uh, you know, the, uh, the gooey-eyed uh, with, uh, was it the gooey eyes with uh, Ruth and Boaz there just looking lovingly at each other? Uh, but he says, you should work here because you can work with my people. Let's turn it around. What if we are the workers and Ruth is the stranger, Ruth is the foreigner? Are we going to make her feel just as welcome? Are we going to make her feel part of the family until she can become part of the family? Are we going to love them until they ask why? Oftentimes, if we, if we move away from our, yes, that used to be me, and I never go back there, we start to forget the sort of people that we were. And when we remember that it's only by the grace of God that we can stand here in God's family, uh, let's extend a helping hand to those people who are not yet in God's family to draw them in to give them the provision and protection that God has given to us, to be the hands and feet of Christ, to show his love uh, pouring out on the righteous as well as the unrighteous. And so in, in that way, we may, it may, uh, people may see 
that there is a better way. Rather than gleaning in this life, uh, there is an adoption that's waiting for them uh, if they could step under the authority and covering uh, of Christ. So even though we stand, uh, we remember our past, we can stand in the place of Naomi and introduce the Ruths in our lives to Boaz. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for the story and just uh, so much, uh, so many things going on on so many different levels. We thank you that you are our kinsman redeemer. We thank you that you are not only a near relative, that you became one of us so that you can draw near, but you can understand who we are. We thank you, Lord, that you fulfilled the law so that you're able to perform. And we thank you, Lord, that you were willing. Uh, Lord, I pray that your willingness to sacrifice yourself uh, so that you could purchase us out of slavery uh, would be uh, a motivation for our willingness to step into uh, our sacrifice so that others may be rescued out of slavery by your hand as well. Uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for the story of Ruth. Let it remind us not only of who we are, adopted, healed, whole, under your protection, your provision, uh, bringing, uh, bringing brought prosperity and inheritance. Uh, Lord, let us also remember there are others gleaning in fields uh, that need a helping hand. And so, Lord, I do pray that we would have that motivation to be as you are for others and that they can be brought into your kingdom. And we know that we can only ask this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you all uh, for joining us this morning. Uh, so that is Ruth chapter 3. We are now three quarters of the way through the series. Uh, Pastor Phil can, uh, can unpack Danny DeVito next week. Um, it's just, it's, that's right, that's a walk around on his knees. Okay, uh, <laughs> uh, have a blessed week. Join us for a cup of coffee and some fellowship after the service. Um, uh, praying that you really have a, have a blessed week. Um, the sun is shining at the moment, so uh, enjoy that um, and uh, pray that uh, God will be with you. Um, and if you see Ruth gleaning in the field, perhaps you could go over and give her a word of encouragement this week. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our message and it inspired you. Stay connected and get amongst our family. Find us on Facebook, YouTube or our app. We are Zion people.